Our second reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, and I'll begin reading at verse 25. I am using the Passion Translation, which is a new contemporary translation uh, from the Greek and the Hebrew into the English. I find it very refreshing, and as a translation, I find that it frequently allows me to hear the Word of God with a freshness. So as I read this text from Paul, uh, I encourage you not to think about how your neighbor needs to hear this, but perhaps how you need to hear this. May we all bring our lives into the light of the Spirit searching as we hear these words from Paul. So, Paul says, discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth. For we all belong to one another. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fuel for revenge, not even not for even a day. Don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. If any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking the words of grace to help them. May I editorialize for just a moment? One of the things the staff has heard me say when I've used one of these texts such as this from Paul regarding our language is that I believe we need to be very, very careful in our use of sarcasm. I know that we're at a particular point in uh, American history where sarcasm has almost become an art form, a comedic art form, but I think we need to be very, very careful about our use of sarcasm, and here's the reason. I believe that sarcasm, good, bad, or indifferent, is, is always the opposite of encouragement. And what we need to be offering to each other are words of encouragement. Again, hear Paul who said, and never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. And then Paul continues by saying, The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums. Isn't that an interesting translation? You know, temper tantrums are are not really very attractive even for two-year-olds, and they're definitely not attractive for 50-year-olds. Lay aside bitter words, temper, tantrums, revenge, profanity. 
We don't talk as much about that as we did when I was growing up. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. But instead, Paul says, be kind and affectionate toward one another. And then we get to our topic for the day, the topic of forgiveness. Paul ends this section by saying, has God graciously forgiven you? And of course, that's a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously yes. Has God graciously forgiven you then? Paul says, commands actually, then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. This is the word of God. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for allowing us to be in this place today. We we know that you have a word for each one of us. So we ask, oh God, that you will give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. I pray, God, that each one of us will leave this place freer than we were when we entered. May we find the freedom that you have to offer us through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we truly may live lives of joyful obedience. Speak to us now, Lord, for we are your servants and we are listening. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We are continuing in our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, where we're looking at the biblical basis for that wonderful summary of the Christian faith as we continue to look at those core, critical, crucial doctrines of the Christian faith and how the Apostles' Creed allows us to summarize that which is most important to us. We're getting close to the end of the Apostles' Creed. Today we're looking at that profession where we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. You know, when we look at the Bible, we see that the Bible takes very, very seriously the concept of sin. So the church obviously should take very seriously the concept of sin. When we look at the Bible, we learn that sin is not just our brokenness, though sin is that, but it's so much more. Sin is not just our failure, though it is that, but the Bible considers it so much more. Sin is not just us missing the mark. It is that, but it's so much more. When we look at the Bible and seek to hear what the Bible says about sin, we come to a startling realization. The Bible is very clear that first and foremost, in a very primary sense, when we sin, we sin first and foremost against God. I think particularly in the contemporary culture, we are more attuned to how we sin against each other, 
how we sin against human beings, and that's important. We need to learn how to create, treat human beings better than we presently do. But when we look at the Bible, we realize that sin in the Scripture is not basically an offense against other people, but sin in the Scripture is basically an offense against God, first and foremost. That's why the Bible takes sin so seriously. It's not just something we do to each other, something that we do to God. For instance, if you can recall the story from 2 Samuel of David, King David, and Bathsheba. You remember that King David was the ruler there of the kingdom based in Jerusalem. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us, but he had his problems. He had his sin. And if you go to Jerusalem today, if you see that excavated part of Jerusalem, which is the city of David, you realize that the ancient city of David is on a slope. So that made it very easy for King David up at the top to be walking on his balcony and look down on his subjects, and he could see the beautiful Bathsheba bathing on her roof. And when he saw the beautiful Bathsheba bathing on her roof, he sent for her to come to the king's palace. And when the king sends for you, you respond with obedience. So there David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And David so wanted to possess Bathsheba in an unimpeded way, he decided that he would go beyond adultery and commit murder. He would commit murder and allow Uriah the Hittite, the husband of, King, the husband of Bathsheba, to be killed in battle. He, he told his soldiers to make sure that Uriah the Hittite would be killed in battle so that he would not be impeded in his wish to possess Bathsheba. So that happened. So here was David. He committed adultery. Here was David. He committed murder. But when you turn to Psalm 51 and you listen to the prayer of confession that Psalm 51 relates as we hear David praying his prayer confession and repentance to God, you will notice there in that psalm as David prays a prayer of confession to God, he says, against you, O God, and you alone have I sinned. Now, if you read that and you're not expecting that, you may say, wait a minute, David, you really sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, the Hittite. You committed adultery against them. Or you sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah by having Uriah murdered. But David knew God well enough. David knew the faith well enough. David understood that any time we sin, though it might be aimed at other human beings, it is first and foremost aimed at God. Our sin is an offense toward God. That's why the Bible takes sin so seriously. That's also why I'm glad the Bible takes forgiveness so seriously. The forgiveness that you and I need the most is not the forgiveness that we need from other people because of the way we have sinned against other people. That's important. But the forgiveness you and I need the most 
is the forgiveness that God and God alone can offer. That's why when you look at the Bible and you deal with the topic of forgiveness, you see that the Bible comes after the concept of forgiveness from two different perspectives. First, the Bible deals with our need to be forgiven by God. And you see that that is a major concept from Genesis through Revelation, God's need, God's desire, and God's work to forgive us. Forgiveness is always hard work. When you look at the Bible, you see that forgiveness is a life and death matter. When you look at the Bible, you see that forgiveness in the biblical way of thinking always, always, always involves the shedding of blood. Because forgiveness is life or death. Forgiveness and the forgiveness of sin is, is about the destructive, the destroying nature of sin in our lives. So when you look at the Scripture... Anytime you deal with forgiveness, you see something about the shedding of blood. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, you see them gathering in the tabernacle. You see them gathering in the temple, and they're offering animal sacrifice. And they offer that animal sacrifice for about a millennia. The high priest there, the priest, the Levites in the temple, they offer that animal sacrifice over and over and over and over again to try and make atonement for the sins of the people. And that animal sacrifice really never efficiently made atonement for the sins of the people, but those animal sacrifice pointed toward the final great sacrifice for our sin, the final great sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on our behalf, when Jesus Christ shed his life, gave his life on our behalf, and he became the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We celebrate it every time we celebrate Holy Communion. We never want to forget that in Jesus Christ we find the perfect work of redemption the complete, the eternal work of redemption. And all of the sacrifices of the Hebrew Bible just paved the way and pointed their direction to the final perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, we now can find forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus Christ, God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God accomplished for us what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. In Jesus Christ, God did the hard work of forgiveness for us. And that's why when we claim, accept the gift of Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. We are forgiven by God, and God's forgiveness is the forgiveness we need most. When St. Augustine was dying, he had them put up a verse of Scripture that he could meditate upon as he was leaving this world for the world to come. And the verse of Scripture that he put up upon which he wanted to meditate was what we would call the first verse of Psalm 32. You heard it a few moments ago. That verse that says, Blessed are those whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven. The thing we need most in life is God's forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, 
we can find that forgiveness if we allow him to pay the price that we cannot pay. We can be freed from the penalty, from the power, and one day even from the presence of sin in our lives because of the work of Jesus Christ. If you know the work of Jesus Christ in your life, then you can say with the Apostle Paul those wonderful words from Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, not even a little condemnation, but no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You can sing with Horatio Spafford, the hymn writer, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. So the forgiveness we need most is that forgiveness that only God can offer us. And he has offered us that in Jesus Christ. But then the Bible talks about a different perspective concerning forgiveness. The Bible makes it clear, as you heard the Apostle Paul did in this text a few moments ago, those of us who have experienced this marvelous forgiveness from God ought to be the first and the quickest to forgive all the other people in our lives who have harmed and hurt us. The Apostle Paul said, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And you've already prayed this morning that dramatic prayer and that petition in that dramatic prayer where we ask God to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. As we forgive. So the Bible's very clear. We who know the forgiveness is ours in Jesus Christ ought to lead the way in forgiving others. You know, I've discovered over the years we all love the concept of forgiveness until we have something to forgive. And by the way, that's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Let's talk about what forgiveness is because I, I've learned over the years of my ministry that this word forgiveness is like a lot of words in the Christian faith. We use it so much in the Christian faith, I'm not sure we ever take time to define it. And frequently when I hear other people talk about forgiveness, I realize they're not talking about the same concept I would talk about concerning forgiveness. So let me just take a teachable moment for a few moments and, and talk about what forgiveness is. What is this we are called to offer one another? And um, this may be a little novel to you, so feel free to write this down. I do encourage you to meditate on what I'm getting ready to say because you may think you know what forgiveness is, but reflect on that. Let's talk about what forgiveness is from a Christian biblical perspective. And in order to talk about what forgiveness is from a Christian biblical perspective, let me begin by talking about what forgiveness is not. Frequently when I hear people in pop culture talking about forgiveness, they're talking about a different concept than what we mean in the Christian faith. So we need to make sure we understand what forgiveness is not. 
First and foremost, you need to understand forgiveness is not the pardoning of someone's behavior. You know, frequently I hear someone say, I'll never be able to forgive that person. What I think they're saying is I'll never be able to pardon their behavior. I'll never be able to excuse their behavior. Well, that's okay because forgiveness is not the same thing as pardoning someone's behavior. As a matter of fact, I've come to learn over the years that in order to do the hard work of forgiveness, sometimes you have to get to that point of realizing that what was done to you was actually very evil. It was wrong. It was evil what was done to you. So pardoning or forgiveness is not pardoning that behavior. You should never just pardon the evil or make excuses for the evil that people have brought into your life. So when I talk about what forgiveness is not, the first thing I say it is not is pardon. You're not being asked to pardon people's behavior when you're being asked to forgive them. To forgive someone is not refusing to hold someone accountable for their actions. Forgiveness never erases consequences. That's true, by the way, with David and Bathsheba, but it's true in general. Forgiveness doesn't erase consequences. Forgiving someone does not mean that we do not hold them accountable. In the Christian faith, we believe in mutual accountability. We Methodists, by the way, historically have been very much in favor of mutual accountability. That's why I have a bishop. I have a district superintendent. Every Methodist clergy has someone to whom they must answer because we believe in accountability. So when we forgive someone, we're not refusing to hold them accountable. We're not erasing the consequences. Forgiveness does not erase the consequences. Forgiveness certainly is not forgetting what someone has done to you. If we could forget what people do to us, we'd never have to do the hard work of forgiveness. But we have long memories. And that's why forgiveness is never forgetting. Forgiveness is never getting rid of the negative emotions that surrounds those memories. Sometimes when people say, I'll never be able to forgive someone, they, they mean I'll never be able to pardon their behavior, I'll never be able to excuse their behavior, or I'll never quit having the negative emotions. And that's okay because those are not the same thing as forgiveness. We may never get rid of the negative emotions that surround the memories of what was done to us. And lastly, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. After you do the hard work of forgiving someone, God may lead you on to reconciliation. But there are times I sincerely believe that God does not lead you on to reconciliation if the person that you're forgiving is an abuser in your life. I'm not sure that you need to move on to reconciliation. So forgiveness is none of those things. So what do we mean by forgiveness? I believe it's always important to define our terms. What is it the Bible is calling us to do when the Bible says we must forgive others? 
What is the Bible calling us to do? Well, let me define forgiveness for you this way. I believe that forgiveness includes a few things, such as forgiveness is a decision, and I'm using that word very carefully. Forgiveness is a decision to live with the consequences of someone else's behavior toward me. Every time I remind myself of that, I have to say to myself, I really don't have a choice but to live with the consequences of what you've done to me. What you did to me impacted me. What you did to me made a difference in my life. What you did to me hurt. But I have to, I can't go back and erase it. You know, some of you seated in this place right here need to go ahead and give up all hope of ever having a better past. The past you have is the past you have. You can do nothing to change the past, but when I talk about forgiveness, I'm talking about changing your destiny. I'm talking about changing the future. So when, I, when I'm forgiving someone, I've made the decision to live with the consequences of their behavior. I can't change the past. I can't change what was done to me. Uh, but I can decide not to let it control me now. You may have done something to me in 1987, but that does not have to control me in the year 2021. That's my choice. So I, you did it. There were consequences of what you did, but I may just have to accept the past as being the past and then try to put the past in the past. Forgiveness is making this, the decision to quit sitting in judgment on another human being. You know, I'll admit that for most of us, sometimes it feels good to sit in judgment on other human beings. That's why I want to keep ruminating. I want to keep bringing it up in my mind and in my heart. I want to keep thinking about it because every time I think about it, it reminds me that I'm better than you are. But sometimes forgiveness means I'm going to quit sitting in judgment on you. I'm going to let God be the judge because I don't have enough information to be the judge and, and I don't want that task. It's not something to which we have been called. So we have to let go of that, that painful hobby of bringing up past stuff just so we can feel superior to those people. We have to give up sitting in judgment on those people. We have to decide we're not going to let other people live rent-free in our heads and in our hearts because of something they did in the past to us. Forgiveness, forgiveness means that I'm going to do something for me. You know, this is the only time I can ever imagine using the word selfish in a somewhat positive way. But when I think about forgiveness, at the end of the day, it, it almost seems as if forgiveness is, is a selfish thing we do for ourselves. You know, when we forgive someone, I don't know if it helps that person or not. But when I forgive someone, I find freedom. I believe in the forgiveness of sins because I believe that God wants us to be free from the pain of our past, 
from the people who have hurt us in the past. The decision to forgive is the decision to no longer be a prisoner to what someone has done to me in the past. I, I know that oftentimes forgiveness has to begin with a prayer asking God to help you desire to forgive that person. Sometimes we're not even at that point yet. So forgiveness is not quite a possibility. So we need to begin praying, God, give me a heart of forgiveness toward that person. I want to be able to forgive that person. I don't want a root of bitterness to spring up in my heart that will defile me and defile others. I'm quoting the book of Hebrews at that point. The, one of the words for forgiveness in the Bible, in the Greek, is aphesis. And the word aphesis literally means to, to release, to set, to set free. And I think the Bible uses that word because when we do the work of forgiveness, we, we are setting ourselves free. And you know, we do need to forgive ourselves. Sometimes that's a hard job. But we need to remember that when we refuse to give ourselves, we are placing ourselves above God who has forgiven us. And we need to find the freedom that's ours by forgiving the people in our lives who have hurt us. As I was thinking about the message for this morning, I started reflecting back over 38 years of ministry. And in case you wonder, I was very young when I started. But as I reflect back over 38 years of ministry, something came to me that I realized that was almost startling. I've had three women in my churches who were murdered by their husbands. I've had one husband in one of my churches who was murdered, he was murdered by his wife. So I've seen people do the hard work of forgiveness. And sometimes when I think of what is the hardest thing in life to forgive, probably I think it would be someone doing something like that to one of my children. And over the course of 38 years, I remember having conversations with those four families. And I remember having conversations with those parents as they talked about forgiving the person who murdered their child. You know, I never would have said, and I never will say, um, at the time of the tragedy, you should forgive that person. You know, we need to have common sense sometimes. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut and be present with people. But in every one of those situations, I watched those families themselves get to the point where they knew that they had to deal with forgiveness for those people who murdered their child. And in every one of those situations, it took a while, it took hard work, but I watched those parents forgive the person who murdered their child because they got to the point of realizing they, as the parents, would have no future. They would have no destiny. They would have no life until they did the hard work of forgiveness. I'm glad as Christians we believe in forgiveness because that means as Christians we believe in freedom. 
May I pray for you and pray with you. God, we know that this is a work that is dependent upon your Holy Spirit. We cannot do the hard work of forgiveness. But you can do the work through us. So God, we pray that you'll set us free. You'll help us to live a life of joyful obedience. That we will not be in bondage to our past. But we may find the joy that you have planned for us in the days to come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will finish this message in our hearts this day. In the saving, forgiving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.